Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. I want to say a big thank you for coming out. A big thank you to everyone who's tuned in online. I am thrilled that you're with us today, however you happen to be joining us. For those who are new, um, I want you to know that right now as a church, we're studying through the gospel of Matthew, and uh, our study in this gospel brings us to the text we're studying today, which is Matthew chapter 14, verse 34, and we're going to be studying all the way through to chapter 15, verse 20, and in this particular passage of scripture, Jesus is going to teach us uh, about what defiles a person. What defiles a person? Now, the word defile is probably not in uh, our our everyday uh, vocabulary and usage. It's actually a theological term. So this is not something that would often come up in regular conversation. So I want to begin today with a little story that will help you and I to understand the, the, the true biblical meaning of this word defiled, because if we're going to spend the whole lesson talking about that, uh, we should probably begin by knowing uh, what it means. So here we go. Do any of you, like me, get to the end of your workday exhausted and just needing to completely mentally check out? Anybody else besides me? Yeah, okay, so a couple of you. So what I sometimes do, since I, I, I read so much, I process information so much, uh, I'm, I'm the lead problem solver here, okay? Um, and, and it's just exhausting sometimes mentally. So when I get home every now and then, I hop on YouTube and I go down the rabbit hole. Anybody else here? Yes, okay, all right. Same thing with first service, yes, okay? We go down the rabbit hole sometimes. So I'm just clicking on anything and everything that's even remotely of interest to me. And so I saw something that said how McDonald's French fries are made. (laughs) And knowing how much value that would add to my life and how much it would spiritually enrich me and encourage me and lift me up and help me to be a better disciple of Jesus, I clicked on it. And I was fascinating with what I learned. McDonald's goes through 3.5 billion uh, potatoes per year. And uh, I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, the manufacturing process. So here's the deal. They take them off of the farms and they bring them by truck into the factory. And once they're in the factory, there's a machine that washes them and peels them. um, And then they are shot through a tube at 75 miles an hour through this steel grid that's got like slicers going this way and this way and they're shot through at 75 miles an hour and that's how they get that classic shoestring you know mcdonald's french fry this was fascinating to me then the french fries are put on a conveyor belt where optical scanners evaluate each and every french fry uh, looking to see if there's any faults and any fries that are discovered to be with fault are ejected automatically off of the conveyor belt so i guess if you're watching it it's just like popcorn boom you know boom boom french fries just going everywhere but the machine ejects uh, any french fry that's found uh, to be unacceptable. Those that pass inspection are then boiled for texture and then fried for taste and then they are freeze dried. Then they're shipped out to the individual stores across the country and when you go through the drive-thru and you uh, order them, they are fried again, okay? So if your health goals for 2023 uh, are to lose some weight or get healthy or whatever, instead of drive-thru, drive away, okay? Because they're fried (laughs) twice, not just once. They're fried twice, not just once. 
But here's the deal. I, I was preparing this sermon, and I thought about this video that I had seen several months back as I was at the end of a long day uh, going down the YouTube rabbit hole, and I just thought that's a perfect way uh, to explain to our church the true meaning of the biblical word defiled. The word defiled simply means unacceptable. When the French fry goes through the conveyor belt and the optical scanner finds a fault in it, it says, boom, I'm ejecting you because you are defiled. You're unacceptable by our standards. And that's a great working definition of this theological word defiled. It simply means to be unacceptable before God. And in our text today, there's this debate between uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel, and Jesus over the issue, what defiles a person? What makes them morally corrupt? Uh, what makes them uh, unacceptable in God's sight? And that is what we see uh, in our text. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to go through our text. We're going to simply try to understand what each part says and what each part means. And once we've worked our way through the text, we'll bring it all together. Uh, and I hope to show you what this passage has to do with our lives today. There's six things that we see in our text today. Uh, the congregation, the accusation, the reciprocation, the regulation, the observation, and the explanation. And we're going to go through these one at a time, beginning with the congregation, the congregation. Uh, we see this in verses 34 to 36, where we read, and when they, Jesus and his disciples, had crossed over, meaning the Sea of Galilee, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. If you take a look at the map, you'll see that Jesus and his disciples were coming from Bethsaida. They had gone there for rest, only to be greeted by a crowd of about 25,000 people. Jesus ministered to them all day. He prayed all night. Now it's the next day. And, and Jesus says, I still haven't got that rest that I need. My disciples still haven't got that rest that they need. So they crossed the Sea of Galilee and they came to Gennesaret. Now, Gennesaret, understand, was not a town filled with people. No, it was a three mile long by one mile wide stretch of farmland uh, that was located on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we know that Jesus was once again seeking to be in a desolate place to get some rest because he didn't go to a town. He went to just some farm region where there wouldn't be many people. But here's the deal. There were some people, the farmers working the land. And when the farmers saw this one guy come up on shore with 12 other guys following him, they knew immediately this is Jesus. So they send word out to all the towns and villages that surrounded Gennesaret. And they said, hey, Jesus is here. And so everyone gathered up uh, the sick that was among them and they all congregated to Jesus. So that's the first thing we see in our text, the congregation. And now that you've seen this, let's note the second thing we see in our text, and we'll call this the accusation. And we see this in the first two verses of chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. 
And they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Friends, even though Jesus had been ministering in Galilee in the north, word had reached Jerusalem in the south. Specifically, word had reached the Sanhedrin that there was this guy named Jesus and he was violating, breaking the tradition of the elders. And man, they viewed that as the same thing as breaking the very commandments of God. So when word came from the religious leaders in the north to the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders in the south, they created a delegation that they could send up to Jesus to get an official answer. Are the rumors true? Is this Jesus of Nazareth truly intentionally, uh, willfully violating the tradition of the elders? And so they send the delegation from the south to the north, and it was an 80-mile trip traveling from Jerusalem up to Gennesaret where Jesus was ministering to the sick. And when they finally find Jesus after their long journey north, they make an accusation against him that's veiled as a question. Hey, Jesus, why do your disciples blah, 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 blah. It's veiled as a question, but in reality, it's an accusation. They're saying, Jesus, you're a lawbreaker. Jesus, you don't care uh, about God and you don't care that you are defiled unacceptable in his sight because you're not washing your hands and requiring your disciples to do the same before you eat. So you are defiled because to them, that's what defiled a person before God, not observing the man-made traditions created by the religious leaders. Now here's the deal. God's word never commanded anyone to wash their hands before they eat. Now understand, this is not a high hygiene thing. This is about religious ceremony. And God's word never commanded anyone to wash their hands before they ate. So here's how it came about. The religious leaders who love to try to create fences around God's law so that you wouldn't actually accidentally break one of God's law, uh, what they did is this. They said, hey, if we were in the marketplace, let's say, and we accidentally brushed up against a Gentile, we would become ceremonially unclean. We touched the Gentile, now our hands are unclean. Or if we accidentally touched a dead body uh, at, a, at a funeral serving as a pallbearer or, or what have you, if we happened to touch something that was considered ceremonially unclean, our hands would become unclean. Well, then if we sat down to eat uh, breakfast or lunch or dinner and we touched certain food, with unclean hands, well, now we'd have unclean food. And if we then ate the unclean food and it went into our otherwise clean body, then our bodies would also become unclean. So here's what we're going to do so that doesn't happen. Just on chance, we touch something that was ceremonially unclean. Before we go ahead and eat, let's wash our hands. And they had a certain ceremony where the water would drip down and all this stuff. And they repeated it multiple times. And it was real complicated. And the super Orthodox Jews would go ahead and actually perform this hand washing ceremony between each course of the meal not just before the meal began. And they're coming to Jesus and saying, you guys are not following the tradition of the elders. You're not washing your hands like we do. You are defiled. And of course, Jesus thought this was stupid. And so he refused to do it and did not require his disciples to do it either. But the religious leaders, again, were so offended because they had elevated their man-made traditions to be on par 
with the very commands of God. So they come and they accuse Jesus. You are a lawbreaker. Your actions have defiled you before God. You could never be sent from God as you claim because you're doing something that makes you defiled before him. So we see the accusation. Okay, now that you've seen the accusation, let's note the third thing we see in our text, which is the reciprocation. The religious leaders have leveled an accusation against Jesus, and now he reciprocates by leveling his own accusation against them. He said, you guys think I'm defiled for breaking your stupid man-made traditions? Let me tell you something, and here's what he says, uh, beginning in verse 3. He says, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, well, then he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus was saying, you guys have concluded that I'm defiled because I have broken your traditions. Well, then how much more so are you defiled because you have broken the very commandments of God? And then he explains to them how they've broken one of the 10 commandments, thou shalt honor the mother and father. Now, let me explain this because uh, the religious leaders had a tradition back then that no longer exists today. So we have to understand what that tradition was that Jesus uh, was coming against in this text. So here's, what, here's the deal. God's word commanded that a person should honor their mother and father. And according to Jesus, yes, this included being respectful to them and treating them in an honorable manner, but it went beyond that to honoring them by caring for them in their old age when they were not capable anymore of caring for themselves. So if someone was able, this would have included bringing the parent into their home. If they were uh, able financially, this would have included uh, helping with the expenses uh, that, that are involved in caring for an aging parent. And the religious leaders came up with a great system for completely ignoring that command. Here's what the religious leaders did. They came up with this thing. We read about it in Mark chapter 7, verse 11, and it was called Corbin. This was the practice called Corbin. And Corbin simply means devoted to God. So a greedy religious leader would say, I want to hang on to everything I've worked so hard to accumulate. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to declare all my wealth and all my possessions Corbin, devoted to God. And so now the person's frail uh, mother and father would come up and say, you know, we just can't uh, work the farm anymore. Uh, you know, we're incapable. Uh, we're we're going to starve. We're going to, and they would say, oh, mom and dad, um, thanks for raising me and caring for me when I was incapable of caring for myself when I was little. I'd love to help you out and return the favor, but I can't because you see, I went and I d devoted all my stuff to God. I declared it Corbin. So I'd love to help you out. I wish you warm and well-fed. Uh, uh, but I can't help you because if I were to take something I devoted to God and I were to give it to you to help you in your time of need, I would be violating Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 5, which says, 
It's better not to make a vow than to vow and then to break that vow. And I have vowed that all this stuff belongs to God. Now, interestingly enough, even though you devoted it to God, you could use it all throughout your life to the point there would be almost nothing left, you know, when you died. And so it was just a way for unscrupulous people to act in an unconscionable way and get out of honoring the mother and father. So this was the Corbin tradition. And Jesus says, you hypocrites, you act as if your concern is violating the word of God by breaking your vow when the real concern of your heart is hanging on to your money. And so for the sake of your tradition, the, the Corbin tradition, you make void the word of God. And you're a hypocrite. You're an actor. You're pretending as if the issue is not wanting to displease God when in reality you're just greedily trying to hang on to your money. So you see why I labeled this point the reciprocation? They have leveled an accusation against Jesus and Jesus says, oh yeah? And he levels his own accusation against them. Okay, number four, the fourth thing we see in our text, we'll call this uh, the regulation. The religious leaders were teaching the people wrong what truly defiled someone in God's sight. And so Jesus, not wanting the people to be under the religious leaders' uh, erroneous teaching, now gives the regulation. He says, this is what defiles a person. Verses 10 to 11, Jesus says, hear and understand. So he calls the crowd. He turns away from the religious leaders now, and he calls the crowd saying, gather around, gather around, come close. And he says, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Now, granted, what Jesus said here is a little bit cryptic, and that's why he's going to explain it shortly. But with what Jesus said, the religious leaders heard all they needed to hear. It's not what goes into the mouth. Jesus is completely disregarding the tradition of ceremonial hand washing. We have what we need. This is proof of Jesus's insolence. And now we are heading back to Jerusalem to report to the Sanhedrin, this lawbreaker named Jesus of Nazareth. And so they depart to report Jesus's regula regulation to the Sanhedrin. Number five, the fifth thing in our text is the observation. And we see this in verse 12. Then the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard your saying that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person? Do you know they were offended? Because friends, at this point, Jesus has turned and he's facing the crowds. He's not looking at the religious leaders. And when he said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, the religious leaders must have made a contorted face or they must have gasped in shock and awe at, at what Jesus would say and that he would have the audacity to, uh, you know, violate the, the commandments of the Sanhedrin uh, taught through the various traditions. And so they say, Jesus, I know you were talking to the crowd, but we observed that the religious leaders were so offended that you said this. And here's how Jesus replied, uh, beginning in verse 13. He says, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. All throughout the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Israel is pictured as a plant that God planted in the soil called the nation of Israel. 
But God's saying, I may have planted the nation in this land, but I did not plant these religious leaders over the nation. They claim, according to Romans chapter 2, to be guides for the blind, but in reality, they are blind themselves. And no one's ever going to be led into eternal life. How could the religious leaders find it? They being blind themselves. So that's the observation. The observation that the Pharisees were offended by Jesus' regulation. This leads nicely to the sixth thing we see in our text, which is the explanation. In verse 15, the apostle Peter, speaking as the spokesperson for all 12 disciples, comes to Jesus and he says this, Jesus, explain the parable to us. And this makes sense, right? Uh, Jesus had said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles, it's what comes out, but he never explained what that meant. And so the disciples are confused. And so they say, Jesus, can you explain this to us? And Jesus said to them, are you also still without understanding? Friends, it's the beginning of the third year of his ministry. They've been with Jesus for a while. This is a lesson they should have learned by now. So he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile anyone. And friends, what Jesus teaches us here is a lesson that every single follower of Jesus needs to perk up and pay attention to and take note of because this is so vitally, vitally important. What Jesus is saying here is that true religion is religion of the heart. It's not about ceremonial washings or any other religious ritual. It's about serving God and serving people from the heart. The Pharisees and the scribes had made religion be about a bunch of external rituals and ceremonies that were completely disconnected from what was going on in the heart. And it's precisely because that was the case that Jesus came speaking over and over and over about the importance of what's going on in a person's heart. For example, taking us back to Matthew 5, do you remember when Jesus taught on murder? He said, look, I don't want you going around killing people, but I need to address the issue in the heart that causes murder. It, it's anger in the heart that gives birth to murder. So yeah, don't murder people, the external act, but also don't harbor anger in your heart. God cares about what's going on in your heart. Likewise, when Jesus taught about adultery, he said, I don't want you going around sleeping with people that are not your spouse. God doesn't approve of that. But with that said, I don't want you to even lust in your heart because how do you think adultery comes into being? It begins with lustful thoughts in your heart that eventually manifest to the external act of adultery. But God cares about what's going on in your heart. Moving on, when Jesus taught about helping the needy. Jesus let the people know, God absolutely wants you to give, not to those people who don't want to work and want a free handout, but God does want you to give to help those who are truly in need. But with that said, 
He cares more than the external act of giving to the needy. He cares about the motive of the heart that drives you to help the person. Are you doing it to be seen by others so that they can go, wow, what a spiritual person you are. And if that's the motive of your heart, remember the McDonald's uh, optical scanner? God's optical scanner goes over you and says, you, got, you did it for the wrong motive in your heart. And true religion is a thing of the heart. It's not about just the external act. You can do the external act and think I'm good with God. And God goes, I scanned your act. It's, it, I found a fault and I'm ejecting it from the conveyor belt of the things that are pleasing and acceptable in my sight. That act was defiled because it came from the wrong motive of the heart. Moving on. When Jesus taught on prayer, he said, I want you to pray, but make sure you're thinking about what you're saying. Because it's not about mindlessly reciting some memorized prayer. It's about communion with God. So what's going on in your heart? One last example. When Jesus taught on fasting, he said, are you showing up with your hair disheveled and, you know, you got dust and ashes all over you because that's what they would do to show that they were mourning and, and you walk around with ripped clothes and... Are you doing this because you're seeking God's help in a crisis? Or are you doing this to draw closer to God, which are two reasons that you should fast for? Or are you doing it so you can just walk around telling everyone you're fasting? What's the motive of your heart? What's the motive of your heart? So I bring this up because what I want to show you is that Jesus is frustrated with the disciples. He's incredulous when they ask, Jesus, can you explain this to us? Because from Jesus's perspective, I have taught you this lesson over and over and over and over and over again. Do you still not get it? True religion is religion of the heart. It's religion of the heart. Are you still without understanding? Do you still not get what true religion is? Well, friends, I think Jesus wants to ask you and me this same question. Mike, do you know what true religion is? New Day Church, do you know what true religion is? Do you have understanding as long as you've been serving the Lord? Or do you have the same absence of understanding that the religious leaders have? So let me give you some examples to help you know the answer to that question. Let's pretend today that during our time of worship, let's pretend you stood up, you clapped your hands, maybe you even closed your eyes, and, and maybe you sang along with the lyrics on the screen. But friends, the reality is we can do all of that with a heart that's completely disengaged from God. And if we have all the externals in place, but in our heart, we're not saying, God, I'm here on the first Sunday of the week to honor you and to give you praise and to worship you because I was a sinner who deserved the judgment of death. But you sent Jesus out of love for me and you saved my soul. And so, God, I, I give you praise today. Amen. If that's what's going on in your heart, God scans the act and he says, that's acceptable in my sight. But you could have all the external. You could have your hands lifted up and just be doing it socially. And God's like, you're not getting any credit for that. He scans the act and he says, defiled. And it's ejected off the list of things that are pleasing in his sight. Here's another example. Think about your quiet time this past week. When you opened the word of God on your phone or if you still have a hard copy or whatever the case might be, did you say, God, I desire to follow Jesus in discipleship. So God, help me to learn better how to follow Jesus. I want to honor you by following 
him. Or did you say, this week's reading says, I have to do this. So let me read that one chapter from the Old Testament, the one chapter from the New, and let me read that proverb. Check, 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 and I've done it. I have fulfilled the religious duty. God's going, yeah, you did the external, but the, the heart, it was all wrong. Scan, reject. That act, it's defiled. It's unacceptable in his sight. Here's another example. Let's pretend you were recently water baptized as over 100 of you were just last year, not including all those baptized this year. Friends, when you go in the water, the water represents a grave where you bury your old life that was characterized predominantly by sin, and then you come up out of the water resurrecting to new life in Jesus, where he now rules and reigns over your life. If Jesus is now predominantly, not perfectly, but predominantly ruling and reigning over your life, then the act, the religious ceremony act called water baptism, that was pleasing in his sight. But if you resurrect it up out of the water to just keep living exactly how you did before, God's optical scanner scans the act and he says, defiled. It's unacceptable. Here's another example. When someone asks you for a favor, I know you guys would never do this, but can I make a confession? Sometimes when people ask me for a favor, I'm very Christian on the outside. Of course I shall help thee. <laughs> and on the inside, I'm, don't you know how busy I am? Don't you know how, you know, I, I'm grumbling, I'm complaining, I'm, you know, whatever. True religion is saying, yes, on the outside, and then saying, God, thank you for the opportunity to serve. I am busy, but you know what, God? People have needs, and you called me to love you and to love people, and God, I'm happy to serve today. Oh, you can have all the, oh, yes, I'm happy to help thee on the outside. But if you're grumbling and complaining on the inside, God scans it, and he says, defiled. That kind of religion, that's unacceptable in my sight. I could go on and on, but I think you get the point. Friends, here's the conclusion. Uh, this is not a Bible verse. This is the Mike Sorcinelli summary uh, of this passage. So take a look, and I think it's your last fill in the blank. Jesus' teaching moves the issue of defilement before God from the outer realm to the inner realm. From the external actions to the right attitudes and motives of the heart. The apostle James says this in James chapter 1, verse 27. He speaks of religion that is pure and undefiled. And in bringing up that which is pure and undefiled, he's saying that there is a form of religion that is impure and defiled. And that's religion that is external but does not spring from the heart. So the question I want you to ask yourself today, the question I've been asking myself uh, and leading up to today is this. Has my religion become defiled? Am I doing the right actions on the outside but without the God-honoring motives and attitudes of the heart that God wants to see on the inside? Would God say of me, so-and-so honors me with their lips? But their heart, their heart is far from me. Friends, that's not where we want to be. So the good news is God's given us this passage to help us do a spiritual realignment. You ever have your car and you're driving it and it's just pulling to the left or it's pulling to the right? 
you got to bring it into the shop and say, I need a realignment so it gets back going on the straight and narrow. That's what God wants to do with us today. And if you know you need that realignment, would you join me in prayer right now? Everyone online, everyone here in person, let's go before God in prayer. And uh, you can pray your own prayer. If you need a little help, maybe you can pray along with me. Uh, but let, let's go to God in prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for this lesson by Jesus. And thank you for showing me what true religion is. It's a matter of the heart. You care what's going on on the inside. And God, I've got, I got some work to do. So thank you for this lesson. Thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And thank you that when you call us to task on issues like this, it's because you love us and want to help us get back on, on the right track. And so God, thank you for your loving uh, confrontation of the attitudes and motives uh, and actions that, that stem from our heart. God, we, we want to get back in line with what you require. We don't want you to view uh, all our actions from heaven and scan them with your heavenly optical scanner and say, defiled, 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 defiled. God, we want them to make it through on the list of things that are pleasing in your sight. So God, we pray for your help today. And we know that by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, even that which seems impossible to man is more than possible with you. So God, we pray for your help. We ask for forgiveness for all the times we've got it wrong. And we ask God that beginning today, we would live different. Because now we know what defiles a person. And God, now we want to avoid that. We pray for your help and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mike. I hope you got uh, the takeaway from the sermon today that religion is not about ritual. It's about the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And God wants our whole heart. I realize that today there's some people here that you've been coming to New Day. You've been listening to the sermons, but God doesn't yet have your whole heart. And maybe today is the day that you're ready to give that. You see, in the Bible, it says that we're all sinners. We all sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But God, from the very beginning, had such a wonderful redemption plan for our sin, and it's in the form of Jesus. He sent his one and only son to die for that sin, to pay the penalty for that sin, which is death apart from God. God never wanted that. He wants relationship with us. He desires that close intimacy with us, and so he sent Jesus. So it's simple. You accept Jesus as that penalty for your sin, and you're welcomed into a relationship with God forever and eternity. And it's such a wonderful gift, and I hope that you will take that today. If you're here today and you want to make that decision in your heart, I just want to encourage you in that. And we would love to know about it as well. We'd love to get a Bible in your hands. We want to resource you in your next step if you take that step today. So what you can do if you make that decision is take your welcome card if you're here in person. You're just going to go ahead and check off that box. I've decided to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. That just lets us know you took that step. And you can take that back to guest services. They're going to take that from you and hand you a Bible and get you ready in your next steps with your walk in faith. And if you're online with us, same thing. Our wonderful hosts are putting a link in the chat right now for you. If you're watching on your smart TV, we even have QR codes. You can scan that code and it'll get you that Bible in very short time. So many ways to God. I hope you made it there today. Uh, congratulations if you did. Have a wonderful Sunday. Sunday, everybody, and God bless.
Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you and we hope to see you again real soon.